It's time to transform your life through knowledge, creativity, and mastery. Delivered on the Focus 7 Daily Podcast with business expert and marketing guru, Lisa Fredrickson, you will hear interviews with some of the most thought-provoking mentors and professionals on a variety of topics. And now, your host and favorite learnaholic, Lisa Fredrickson. Good morning, listeners. Welcome to today's adventure. I'm Lisa Fredrickson, your host and incurable learnaholic. In this episode, we'll be discussing bringing raw milk and health back to the table with the extraordinary Sally Fallon Moore, author of Nourishing Traditions, the cookbook that challenges politically correct nutrition and the diet dictocrats. I practiced that a whole bunch of times. I still can't say <laughs> anyway, welcome, Sally. <laughs> Thank, Thank you for having me. Today, we're going to talk about raw milk and the, the health benefits, but I was wondering if maybe you could give our listeners a little bit of background. Why did they take raw milk out of the regular market in the first place? Well, it's a long story. Raw milk is one of the casualties of the germ theory, of course, mm-hmm. which I've opposed as well. But it started back in the 1800s, and we we have no idea what life was like in the cities in the 1800s. I mean, it was squalid, yeah. unsanitary. Remember, there were no cars then. Everything was pulled by horses. Mm-hmm. And so the streets were full of stinking piles of manure, which often got into the water. There was really no water sanitation, just wells here and there. No refrigeration. People lived in tenements. There was no garbage collection. (laughs) And people were burning coal, which was highly polluting. Uh So the death rate among infants was 50% in the 1800s in the city. That's high, yeah. 50%. And that was blamed on what they called the milk problem. They didn't blame the piles of manure, they didn't blame the water, they blamed the milk. Well, the milk was terrible. They had these inner city dairies, they were called swill dairies, and the cows were inside and they ate the swill from the breweries. Oh my. Right next door. So, And the breweries uh, being the alcohol breweries, right? Right, right. Yeah, so it was called swill dairies. It was very unsanitary conditions. Uh And the milk itself was unhealthy. They sometimes added chalk to it because there was so little calcium in the milk that it looked watery. Oh, my. So I'm sure that the milk was part of the problem, but it wasn't the whole problem. Well, towards the end of the 1800s, things got better in the cities. You started to get electricity. They figured out about water having to be clean. Then the car came in, replaced the horse. You started to get refrigeration. People were living in better conditions. They outlawed the swill dairies and put the breweries somewhere else. So all these things happened. And you also had something called the Certified Raw Milk Movement, which was bringing tested, clean raw milk into the cities. And health departments applauded this. They said this was safe milk. It was healthy milk. They applauded Uh the Certified Raw Milk Movement. However, (laughs) there was another force at work, and this was really the force of commercialism. And the best example I can give is 1911, 
a committee in New York met and they wanted to figure out how to make the milk safe. And everyone on the committee agreed that raw milk could be very safe, that it was healthier than pasteurized milk. But in the end, they voted to make pasteurization mandatory because they said it would be easier and less expensive to inspect a few pasteurizing plants than to have to go out and inspect all the farms doing the raw milk. Oh my. So it was all expediency. Now, the reason they gave was to make milk safe. But, and you know, the interesting thing is we have a farm in Maryland, and I have been trying to get raw milk for human consumption for years. And my inspector, who was head of the department, once said to me, she said, the problem, Sally, is that we just don't have the manpower to inspect all these little dairies. Oh, wow. So it was exactly the same reason given in 1911. The bureaucrats, they would rather inspect a few large pasteurizing plants than go out and inspect hundreds of small dairies. So it's kind of the laziness of bureaucrats. (laughs) (laughs) So as pasteurization caught on, and I agree with you wholeheartedly that commercialism was the driving force of that, then pretty much, wasn't it in 1980s that they made it mandatory for everybody indoors and have pasteurization? Well, actually, the first mandatory laws were 1948. So that was the state of Michigan. The state of Michigan mandated that all milk had to be pasteurized, and then other states followed. It was done on a state by state basis. Uh And some states uh, kept raw milk. Uh, California, you could still buy raw milk in the stores in the 70s. Yeah, in the 70s, you could still buy raw milk in the stores into the early 80s. So when we set up a campaign for real milk in 1999, there were 27 states that allowed a farmer to provide raw milk in some way, either selling it, herd share program, or as pet milk, or 27 states. And one of the problems was that the farmers were not uh, permitted to advertise that they had raw milk. It was forbidden in many states. So we set up a website called realmilk.com. Uh-huh. At that time, we probably had about 30 sources of raw milk in the whole country. But we were basically, we we got around this advertising problem because we were just saying, here's this farm, here's this farm. And we also have been steadily working to liberalize raw milk laws. Well, today, 46 states out of 50 allow farmers to provide raw milk in some fashion. In the state of Maryland, it's through as pet milk. And our farm was the first to get a pet milk license. (laughs) (laughs) And there are literally hundreds. There are over 2,000 sources of raw milk posted on our website now. And many others that are not listed. And then the other thing is that in California... Raw milk had pretty much disappeared from the stores, but it came back largely through Mark McAfee and his farm, which okay. was called Organic Pastures at the time. Now it's called, I think it's called the Raw Farm. And he is, was a real go-getter and he had a big farm, 400 cows. He just wow. went all raw and very, very uh, good businessman. So that brought raw milk back to California stores. But anyway, it's widely available now. Pretty much anyone can get raw milk if they want to. 
one way or another. <laughs> and people are discovering that maybe they couldn't drink pasteurized milk or even just unhomogenized milk. Uh-huh. But they do fine on what we call real milk. So that's raw milk from pastured cows that's so, full fat with all the fat in it. What are some of the benefits that raw milk brings to us? I know that pasteurization does a whole bunch of things, and we'll maybe discuss that down the road. But but the, the positive things yeah. that raw milk does uh, for us. Okay, well, first and foremost... Pasteurization, as we know, kills enzymes above uh-huh. 113 degrees. And that's the test for successful pasteurization that this one particular enzyme is killed. Uh-huh. But these enzymes are very important. Um, every single vitamin and mineral in raw milk has a special enzyme that ensures 100% assimilation. No other food is like this. We don't absorb 100% of anything from any other foods we eat. But from milk, we absorb 100%. And that's very important for people who have digestive problems, who need better nutrition. So that's all gone when you pasteurize, and your body has to make its own enzymes. The other thing in raw milk, well, it's two other major categories of components. One is... All of the components of your blood, white blood cells, you know, neutrophils, antibodies, everything except red blood cells is in raw milk. And you absorb these. And you, for the infant, the infant creates the immune system out of these components of raw milk. The adult with compromised immune system, these components will help its immune system. And the surprising thing is in World War I, raw milk was used for blood transfusions. Uh-huh. They didn't have enough blood, and they gave they actually injected raw milk into their veins. What? And <laughs> yes, it's used as blood transfusions because it's white blood. Everything except red blood cells are in raw milk. So that's <laughs> fascinating. That's a yeah, new it's thing. Very to me. interesting. And the third thing that's in raw milk are a number of enzymes and components that kill pathogens. And this is why milk is actually an inherently, raw milk is actually an inherently safe food, Uh even when produced in not so clean conditions. And believe me, I'm not in favor of that. I I think raw milk needs to be produced in very clean conditions. But a lot of the milk that people are drinking in this country is not produced in clean conditions. It's not inspected but people aren't getting sick. And that's because of these components such as uh, lactoperoxidase, lactoferrin, that actually know how to get rid of the bad bacteria, but not the good bacteria. There are also components that strengthen the gut wall, that adhere to toxins and take them out of the body. I mean, it is really an amazing substance. Uh And it has to be because it is the only food for mammals is raw milk. That's amazing. So we have so many problems. Like I know many, many people with diabetes, leaky gut, all these things, the the autoimmune problems that we're having, many, many others that are plaguing us. When you talk about the clinging to the gut and doing all these things, is milk capable of helping us to heal some of those chronic problems? 
Uh, absolutely, and I don't is. mean to say the word healed, but you know that's a well, taboo world. We can make them better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, it is. Now, with uh, some caveats here, some people just cannot do any kind of milk. Right, their guts are in such bad condition; they uh-huh. have to go off all milk. We recommend something called the GAPS diet for these people. Yes, but for most people, just getting on raw milk can be very helpful. And when I say that, please don't go out and if you haven't drunk milk in a long time, drink a great big glass of cold milk. Please don't do that (laughs) because your body needs a little bit of time to adjust. And you would start with um, Uh a quarter of a cup, let's say, room temperature, raw milk. And if that agrees with you, then you gradually build up. But raw milk can be so healing and so fortifying. I would definitely recommend anyone try it. So I'm allergic to milk. Yeah. And most people I w- are. I was yeah, actually I was allergic to a lot of different milks they gave me as a child. They had all these different substitutes for milk. Those bothered me as well. And I thought for many years I couldn't drink milk. And then we went up to Utah where we could get some and I just got it and we took it back to the hotel. And I thought, well, I'll just try it. You know, it started giving me a little bit more energy than I was used to having. Mm-hmm. And I felt a little pickup in that energy. But the other thing that was really strange to me was I slept a little better than yeah. normal. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I found a lot of different, that, this is what started me on the deep dive of raw milk was, hey, what is this? Then what's the history here? And what have we been missing? And a deep dive led me to also studying what was pasteurization. And I made this list just for our audience, and they can look this up and find out if any of this is true or not. But the list that I found was this, and it was bioavailability of calcium and phosphorus goes down. Yeah. Presence of copper and iron are diminished. Mm-hmm. It lowers vitamins A, B complex, C and E. It completely destroys biotin. Uh-huh. Excuse me, it completely destroys riboflavin, which is B2. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, and B and B12 can't be absorbed from raw milk. Wow. It destroys beta-lactagobulin. Yes, which are the carrier proteins for vitamins A and D. Yeah, so you don't absorb A and D, right? right. And then it uh destroys the probiotic. Yes. From what I understand, it may also destroy the prebiotic. If possibly, yes. Inactive beneficial enzymes, including lactase, alkaline phosphatase, if I'm not saying these right, and lactoperoxidase, also some proteins, the, their molecular structure breaks down. Well, that's, that's a really interesting thing <laughs> because the proteins in milk are unlike any other proteins in nature. Uh-huh. They're very fragile. They're three-dimensional, I kind of compare them to tinker toys. And the process of heating them, especially today, really rapid heating, that's what ultra-pasteurization is. They they rush this milk past superheated stainless steel plates. Very violent process. Wow. That warps and distorts these proteins. And your body says, oh, this is a foreign protein. I don't know what this protein is. And has to mount an immune response. And this is why so many people are allergic whatever that means, to pasteurized milk. Yeah, that that's incredible. So basically we were structuring milk 
so that the body thinks it's a foreign entity. Foreign protein, yeah. So it says it knocks out antibodies. Yes, yes. It alters structure and immune reactivity of caseins. Yep. And the caseins do what? Well, casein is one of the two major proteins in milk. That's what's in cheese. The casein protein. Oh, that's right. Okay. And um, casein protein is rich in calcium or carries calcium, whatever. Yeah. So people can't deal with the casein because mm-hmm. it's, it's not what they're expecting. It's not what the body's expecting. Right. It disrupts the structure of raw milks, nearly 400 different fatty acids that are beneficial mm-hmm. and knocks out the medium chain fatty acids. It can do. That, it can. That's more something that homogenization does. Is that more the homogenize? Okay. Yeah, because that, so, just, that just crushes the fats. It squishes them until they're tiny squishes and them. little. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it kills white blood cells like the microphages and neutrophils. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So after I got through that list, I was like, what is left... <laughs> other than a a white watery substance the white liquid and the other thing they do of course is reduce the fat first of all your national herd is a frisian herd which produces low-fat milk anyway right and then they take more out and of course you have to have skim milk in the children's lunch program Mm -hmm. the reason they do this is because they don't make a lot of money on the butter fat if it's in the milk uh-huh. The place they make the the money is if they put the butter fat into ice cream. So basically, our children are starved all day long on skim milk, and then they, you know go to the freezer and eat half a gallon of ice cream. That's what the industry wants you to do because they make more money on the butter fat that way. I, I want to point out that butter fat is the fat in nature for the growth and development of all mammals. There are components in there that are essential for humans to grow normally. And the growth period for a human is 18 years. So humans, and especially growing children, need that fat. And the more fat in the milk, the better. And that's why we need to go back to a Jersey or Guernsey herd that's high in fat. These cows need to be on grass, so that fat carries vitamins A, D, and K, really essential vitamins. Uh, I mean, everything we do in with dairying in America is wrong. It's completely yeah. wrong. And we need a whole different system. Uh-huh. And I believe that we're going to get a different system because raw milk uh, demand is skyrocketing. Every raw milk producer I've talked to has told me this, and that includes us. We sell out every weekend. People can't get enough of it. Meanwhile, the consumption of fluid pasteurized milk is relentlessly declining. People can't drink it. So these trends are inevitably going to lead to the demise of pasteurized milk and the victory of raw milk. It's coming. I I predict in 20 years, you will not be able to get pasteurized milk in the stores. It'll only be raw milk. And the biggest fear that people have is that it's going to have something in it that's going to make them sick, that it's not a clean process. And yet we are in modernized arena and we can make raw milk perfectly safe. We we can. In fact, we know we have stainless steel, we have refrigeration, we have testing. We test our milk on our farm 
every batch we test for coliform. It's very easy and inexpensive to do. Typically, uh, nine days out of 10, we have zero coliform, which is extremely clean milk. It can be done. Yeah. And we have the testing to show that it can be done. So there's really no reason to oppose raw milk on that for not being safe because it's very safe. Meanwhile, eggs kill 30 people a year in America. Oysters kill 15 people a year in America. And you can still go to the store and buy those things. So it's a little bit of a double standard. Yeah. Um, the FDA says that two people have died from raw milk since 1999. Um, we cannot find out who these people are. <laughs> so we don't know if it's true or not, but I, I doubt it. I'll bet you there's more people who have died from day-old pizza. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But certainly from eggs and, and oysters. Yeah. And why don't they uh, disallow oysters? Because politicians eat oysters. and you know, it's politically impossible for them to do, do that. When enough <laughs> parents realize how wonderful raw milk is for their growing children, nobody will touch it. One of the things I wanted to say is sure. that there was a study that came out a few years ago, 2019, in China, and they looked at four ways of processing milk. One was boiling to, to imitate pasteurization. Uh One was microwaving, one was freeze drying, or one was spray drying, and the other was freeze drying. Uh All four methods of processing, including freeze drying, Uh disrupted the milk proteins and caused them to be very reactive and damaged. And when fed to rats, all four types of treated protein caused damage to the livers, the spleen, the blood, and a reduced intelligence in the rats. Wow. The rats were not as smart when they were fed processed milk, and this even included freeze-dried milk. Now, we have a situation where the IQ of our children is going down every generation, uh-huh. and I certainly think the pasteurization of milk has a lot to do with this. Also, it's just another example of how fragile milk proteins are, that even freeze-drying caused a disruption of uh-huh. the proteins. So milk is a sacred food. It's the food for the growth and development of mammals. And we have the technology today to get safe, clean, healthy, raw milk to every growing child in this country. Instead, we use our wonderful technology to completely destroy this milk. And I can't think of a greater example of waste. Everything in modern milk is a waste. Children don't get anything from it. Yeah, especially when you go through the homogenized. I mean, this is just pasteurized. And then then homogenizing is actually kind of crushing the milk. It's funny, our inspectors on our farm, they can't admit that raw milk is, is, that pasteurization is bad. They can't admit that. But they all tell us the homogenization is just horrible because they've seen these homogenizing machines. Just to experiment, I went back and bought some milk that was not homogenized, but was still pasteurized. And so, you know, the milk fat gathers at the top of the bottle, which I think is part of why they started homogenizing the pasteurized milk was because people would see that 
and cream at the top. A friend of mine said it was gooey and yucky. And mm-hmm. <laughs> and just that non-homogenized milk, even though it was pasteurized, still had a better effect on my body than Yes, I can I can well imagine. And so we're not only stripping out all of the nutrients and things that are good for us, then we're smashing the fats. And we've been taught or educated over time that fats, all fats were kind of bad in a way. And then we kind of reintroduced good fats that aren't so good. And so what is it about milk fats? Let's say animal fats, because you're against the diet dictocrats. So we're in favor of animal fats. You Animal fats are essential for life. Uh So we cook in lard. We think we should be frying in tallow. But let's just look at butterfat for a minute because you cannot imitate all the good things in butterfat. Yeah. It has the exact right proportions of fatty acids. It has about 10% short-chain fatty acids, which are antimicrobial, which protect you against cancer. One of the fats in butter and indeed in all animal fats is called arachidonic acid. Uh-huh. I, the only place you can get arachidonic acid is animal fats. 11% of the brain is or should be arachidonic acid. And we get that from animal fats. Arachidonic acid is important for healthy skin, for a healthy gut. But the most important thing about arachidonic acid is out of arachidonic acid, we make endocannabinoids. In other words, we make our own internal marijuana. We have receptors for those endocannabinoids. (laughs) And we can only do this if we're eating animal fats. I like to say that the natural state of the body is to feel high all the time. Uh And that's only possible if you're eating animal fats. And there's a lot of arachidonic acid in milk. So the baby is contented, sleeps easier. When the baby's awake, he's alert and uh, focused. Sort of this mellow state of being focused. That's what we all want. That's what we all want. Mellow, but focused. And that's what arachidonic acid does for us. And it's in all animal fats and especially butter. Why do you think that they told us or have starved American diets of animal fat. I mean, it, it's really strange how they've flipped everything upside down yeah. on its head. Well, that was, that's a very sinister story. I tell this story in my book, Nourishing Fats. It started with a company called Procter & Gamble who made candles. They made candles out of cottonseed oil, which was a waste product in the South from the cotton. And the cottonseed oil is a liquid oil, and they figured out how to do this process called partial hydrogenation to make the liquid oil solid so they could make candles, okay? Well, electricity came along, and people didn't buy candles anymore. So Procter & Gamble said, well, what are we going to do? We have this wonderful technology that hardens the oils. We have (laughs) kind of a monopoly on the cottonseed oil, and that's what they did. They said, we're going to sell this to people to eat. So nobody had ever eaten this stuff before, okay? Uh The product was called Crisco, which means crystallized cottonseed oil. (laughs) And they started marketing this oil or this Crisco. It started with a book called The Story of Crisco, which was a cookbook where you use Crisco for everything, for Uh lobster bisque and for cakes and pies and instead of butter. 
and instead of lard. And the introduction to the book said that the housewife who uses Crisco instead of lard is more modern, her house smells better, she's cleaner, and her children will grow up with better character if she uses Crisco instead of lard. Hmm. So they knew how to push all the buttons of the upcoming American middle-class housewife. And they created the impression that somehow it was vulgar to use lard. Yeah. And that it was, you should feel guilty for using butter. And they did a wonderful job. And yeah, they, they did. Because I remember my, my grandfather being very upset about bringing Crisco into the house I remember the the argument between my mom and him talking about how this was nasty stuff, he thought, and she was telling him, well, lard wasn't healthy. And so the vilification was very effective. Right. And then they thought, well, what's an animal fats that we can criticize? Mm-hmm. And the two main things in animal fats are saturated fat and cholesterol. So this was a marketing campaign to make you afraid of these fats. They then got control of the government policymakers and of the universities, associations like the American Medical Association. And they basically got the man in the white coats to do their advertising for them. It's a horrible story. It's uh, a lesson in uh, advertising. Uh And if we don't stop eating these oils, the partially hydrogenated, which actually they've kind of figured out how to do that without making trans fats. But all of these oils are based on rancid vegetable oils, by the way, loaded with pesticides and everything. Yes. And until we realize that we need animal fats for healthy children, for healthy pregnancy, for healthy minds, for healthy bodies, It doesn't look very good, uh, what I see in the future, because we're on our third generation now of children growing up on vegetable oils, and half of them have some kind of serious health problem already. Infertility and sexual confusion and so forth. All this was predicted, by the way, by Dr. Price and his colleague, Dr. Pottinger. So Weston A. Price was... uh, Phenomenal man who founded principles that inspired you, correct? Right, exactly. He wrote this wonderful book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. He showed that as soon as the population adopted the Western foods and stopped eating their traditional foods, which always included organ meats and animal fats, Uh then the first thing that happened was rampant tooth decay. And in the next generation, the children looked different. Their faces were more narrow. They had crowded and crooked teeth. The pelvic opening was more narrow, so childbirth became very painful and life-threatening. The lungs were not as robust, and they became prone to TB. And with each generation on this Western diet, you get weaker. Yeah. So, you know, it's up to every person in this country to to learn what healthy eating is and to seek out healthy foods. And of course, raw milk is at the top of my list and then plenty of butter and you need to eat liver once a week and healthy animal foods. But raw milk is one of those things that's super easy to just do that one thing and it changes a lot of different things, right? It absolutely does. 
I'll tell you something interesting. So we've had this farm for 10 years and we've been selling raw milk for six years. Uh I've had raw milk every day, access to it for six years. That's wonderful. And what I have noticed is just a gradual decline in my allergies. Uh They're just gone. I do credit the raw milk with that. For those who are into different diets, trends, you know, no sugar, yes, sugar, no fat, yes, fat, and all these different things. And now they might be thinking, okay, this is just another fad idea. But really, in reality, this is just going back to how mankind has lived for thousands of years versus a fad diet, isn't it? Yes. So what's new in the Western diet? One one is pasteurization. Another is sugar, another is vegetable oils, another is MSG and all the additives, uh-huh. you know, all the processing, et cetera. And the lack um, of fermentation and everything we do. Yes, we don't have fermented foods anymore. Um, we've taken our animals off of pasture. So the the solution is to go back to the way we used to eat. And it's not a, a bad way of eating. It's a healthy and satisfying way of eating. And you can have plant foods and grains and and uh, soups and sauces and just yeah. need to know how to make them. Husband and I, well, especially myself, have decided that we were going to change our food over to about 85% of our own production. So oh, we're even, we're in the city, we have eight chickens and then we've got it growing all over in my house and outside because <laughs> this is Vegas and it's always hot you. lava heat. Yeah. I would say we're at about maybe 40 to 50% change. And mm-hmm. we're just now being able to implement raw milk because it's hard to get a hold of that here in Nevada. But that change alone has made huge differences in health. And just mm-hmm. going back to fermentation, adding more animal fats, we cook with tallow and we cook with the lard. And food actually tastes really good in that as well. Yeah, when you get back to eating this way and especially allowing yourself to eat those fats as much as you want, and also it's fine to use as much salt as you want. You want unrefined salt, of course. When you go back to eating this way, the food is much more satisfying and you'll Mm -hmm. find that the cravings diminish. They they gradually diminish. And so many people are trying to get off of sugar, very hard, just with willpower, Mm -hmm. but If your body is fully nourished, it will say, oh, this doesn't even look good to me. Yeah. I've slowly lost weight over time, too. I got off of just vegetables and salads and things like that, which were, it was a healthy diet. But I've added back in lots of different animal fats and cooked in different ways that I should be, you know, according to everything out there, I should be gaining a whole lot of weight, but I haven't. Well, the one thing these fats do is they boost your metabolism. Your Mm -hmm. thyroid gland is healthier. Your thyroid gland is working better. So, you know, this equation of calories and weight, there's a third part of it. And that's how high the fire is burning and how good your metabolism is. Well, and also the fats, don't they in a way they're used differently in the body for energy. And so you're not, like you said, you're not craving the sugars as much because the body can burn something that's more efficient. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, gosh, this has gone by so fast and it was so fascinating. We sure appreciate you sharing your time. Is there anything that you would like to share? Yeah. First of all, Mm realmilk.com is our main website for raw milk. 
We now have a map on it so you can find where raw milk is any, anywhere in the country. And also lots of articles like the articles I've been talking about. Then the westonaprice.org is the main website of the Weston A. Price Foundation. Uh-huh. It's a huge website. If you feel overwhelmed by it, go to the right-hand nav bar. There's something that says take a tour. Take a tour of the website. And then my own blog is nourishingtraditions.com nourishingtraditions.com. And some a book that you wrote, I found it after I had switched over to fats, but boy, the explanation of everything in there was just phenomenal. And then it's a cookbook as well, which is it's nourishing fats. That's um, what you're talking about. Nourishing. Oh, nourishing traditions is not the cookbook. Well, nourishing traditions is the cookbook, but and I'm then nourishing put- fats is the other one. Yes. yes. Okay. That's awesome. And we'll have all of those websites and in our description under the podcast. And if you have questions, go to her, the Weston A. Price Foundation. The blogs there are excellent. So, yeah. And we also have a really great podcast, 9 Million Downloads. People love our podcast. Yes, those were good, too. I think that's where I found out about some of the things that I had put in the list and was learning many, many things about the processes. The, the other last thing before we go is you also had a conference this year. Is that the first conference? Oh, no. This is our 22nd conference. Oh, my goodness. It was in Knoxville, Tennessee. We had 1,500 people there. It was just a wonderful conference. We had 100 exhibitors, great speakers, wonderful speakers. And, yeah, it was. Yeah, I can't we're wait. Still, we're still kind of floating after this conference. <laughs> That's we, awesome. we don't know where we'll be next year. Uh, we're still working on that or what the dates will be. But as soon as we know, we'll post that on our website. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I'm going to attend that one. Too. Oh, good, yeah. good. And we think, little clue, uh, it'll be <laughs> in the West. <laughs> oh, in the West. That would yeah. be even better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> one more thing. What can people do to help get more raw milk available in their area? Because like in Nevada, from what I understand, if I've got it right, we can have raw milk here, but there's not very many places to get the licensing. So all the farmers here have had difficulty with that. We still uh, have Nevada, problems. There's some real big problems in Nevada. I think it'll be our last state <laughs> to have raw milk. But one is they have to put a dye in the pet milk. So the, the milk looks black. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. But in other states, the main thing you can do is buy raw milk from a farmer, support these farmers. And yeah. So get on realmilk.com and then support yes. these people because this is an industry that is going to burgeon, I think, here within. And I hate to call it an industry. I like to call it a Yeah, I guess that wasn't a very sector. good word choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah. because we want to keep it small, right? I mean, you know, well, small farms. I, I believe that food should be produced by small farms. Yes. Small and medium farms, let's put it like that. And it should be produced in as clean and healthy a way as possible. And the only way to make that happen is to support those farms with your food dollar. Uh We have something called the 50% campaign where we ask you to pledge to spend 50% of your food budget directly from small farmers and artisans uh, who are producing this food. All right. Well, everybody, go get some raw milk and test it. You'll find that it'll be really good for you. It's that time of the show when we count our blessings for being together. And thank the Lord for providing us with talent that enlightens the mind and inspires the soul. Till next time, remember that life is an adventure teeming with majestic mountains of experience waiting to be explored and rivers flowing with wisdom, beckoning us to drink deeply from their cool waters. Thank you for sharing in our adventures. Stay safe. 
God bless and have a wonderful day. No, that was beautiful. Mm -hmm.